0: morning. How's everybody doing today? Good. Lots and lots of announcements. That was a world record, by the way. Uh, longest announcements ever. So congratulations. You were all a part of that. Um, man, excited for, for all the things that God is doing and the lots of things coming up. I want to highlight two of those just to add more on top of that. Really, I'm just going to highlight two. All in is next week. Um, we do it every other month and we switch locations. So this time it's here at Pennsburg. So it's great for you guys who are part of this campus. You're new here, you haven't taken that step to get connected, you're wondering what it means to be a member, maybe you just want a free lunch, we'll do that as well, um, we would love to invite you out to that. You can, do, uh, you can sign up in many different ways. You can go out to the Next Steps area. You can text the word all in, all is one word, all in to 215-529-6422. Please do us a favor, though, if you're interested in coming, sign up today uh, because we need to get a head count so We know how much food to prepare. So that's coming up next Sunday. And then as Pastor Jonathan said, uh, we've been talking about this the last few weeks, this step up challenge. Um, if you haven't joined a team yet, as we go to two services, we need all hands on deck, right? And so this is an opportunity for you to get involved. Uh, we need people in the kids ministry, as he said. We need people serving on all of our different teams. Regardless, uh, we're, we're just hoping that you will join us as we take this leap of faith. We're excited for all that God's gonna do. And we Understand that we get to do this together. So grab one of those cards, or at the two information tables out there, or you can sign up on the app for that as well. Uh, Today, as you see, we're kicking off a brand new series that's going to be taking us through Easter, called Jesus Is. And so, what we're going to be doing over the next few weeks is we're going to be looking at some of the events leading up to and through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, and and, and discovering what we can learn about Jesus and the relationship He wants to have with us through these stories. what he says. How many of you know that's really, really important? It's really, really important to understand the type of relationship that Jesus desires to have with us. We don't have a relationship with God based on what we think or what we want, right? We don't get, it's not Burger King, it's not have Jesus your way, right? Like there's a, there's a a way that Jesus desires to have a relationship with, with us and he clearly speaks about it and tells us who he is, his identity, his nature, his character and how we can have that relationship with him. And so to kind of get us on the same page with where we're going today I want to ask you a question uh, as we often do when we begin Uh, how many of you have ever had a season in your life where God kind of felt distant come on we can we can raise our hands we participate here you've had seasons in your life where God has felt a little bit distant where where there's been times where maybe you've asked God where are you like where are you in this situation God why didn't you answer me or why didn't you answer me the way that I was hoping you would answer me? Or, or maybe there were times where you said, God, why didn't you do something? Why didn't you show up? I don't understand why. Have you ever had times where you just didn't understand why you were going through something, why God allowed something to happen in your life or in the life of a loved one? There's, there's been those moments. And, and the Bible is clear that God will never leave us nor forsake us, that he goes with us through everything, that he walks with us through every, every path we go through in life. So the Bible's clear about that, so why is it that we have those times where we still feel that way, where we still feel like that's not the case, that God has kind of left us hanging, that he has left us where we are, that he's been distant in those moments? What do we do when God feels distant? What do we do? do? How do we respond? How do we answer that that feeling that we experience? Well, the story we're gonna be looking at today is found in John chapter 11. So if you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 11. We're gonna be looking at uh, verses one through 45 this morning. I'm just kind of preaching through this entire story. It's a story that maybe you're familiar with, uh, but if not, we're gonna teach it today, all right? John chapter 11, verse one through 45, it starts by saying this. Now, a man was sick, Lazarus from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister, Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair. And it was her brother, Lazarus, who was sick. So the sister sent a message to him, Lord, the one you love is sick. Now, we have to understand from the very beginning of this story that these are very close friends of Jesus. How many of you have, have friends that you know that will, you'll be there for them no matter what, they'll be there for you no matter what you're going through? Like these are your best friends, longtime friends in your life. How many of you have friends like that? Like you know you can call them in the middle of the night, you run out of gas somewhere, they're gonna show up and help you out. Not the friends who are gonna see your number in the middle of the night and just ignore it. I'm talking about good friends. They're they're the ones who have refrigerator rights, right? They go into your house. They don't even ask to go in your refrigerator. They just go in and steal your food. Those kind of friends, good friends. This is the type of friend that when you're about to do something crazy, you call them and they're either going to be the friend that helps you not do something crazy or the friend that does the crazy thing with you. But regardless, they're that close, good, good friend. This is the type of friends that Jesus was with this, this brother and his sisters. They weren't just acquaintances. This isn't just somebody that, that Jesus ran into one time while he was doing one of his miracles and, and kind of quickly met them, introduced themselves. This is a, a family that Jesus was incredibly close with. In fact, they said, Lazarus, the one that you love, right? Like you love this guy, that we're, we're close. We're, we're more than just acquaintances. Most likely, Jesus had spent time at their houses, maybe even crashed on their, on their sofa when he was going through town doing ministry. He had uh, ate meals with them, dinner with them. They had inside jokes with this family. I mean, this was a family that he was incredibly close to. If Jesus was gonna be there for somebody during their time of need, this would be a family he would be there for. This would be a a person that that he would show up for when they need it, and it's a serious situation. Lazarus is sick. It's not just a little cough or a cold. It's a desperate enough situation that they send word to Jesus. They take about a day of traveling to find Jesus and to let him know about Lazarus' condition. You need to show up, Jesus, it's getting bad. So what happens? Verse number four, when Jesus heard it, he said, this sickness will not end in death, but it's for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Starts off really well. It's not gonna end, bad guys, don't worry about it. I got this. Then it says this, now Jesus loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Yes. You know, when, you, when you read, it's kinda like, what? That doesn't make, I think they I think they answered that the wrong way. Should have said when Jesus heard about his great friend in his dire situation, he ran out of the house as quick as he could. He called up a camel Uber or whatever they had in that day. He rushed there as quick as possible to be there with his friend, Lazarus. He cared deeply about him, he's gonna show up. And it doesn't say that. It says when he heard about his condition, he says he stayed where he was at for two more days. He did nothing. He didn't give a reason. He didn't tell him why he was doing what he did, he just simply stayed where he was at. And there's a few things I think we can learn today through this story that will help us when we're in those seasons of disappointment and those seasons of feeling like God has let us down. The first thing is this. With God, a waiting season is never a wasted season. With God, a waiting season is never a wasted season. You have to understand that God is in the waiting. In this situation, it probably seemed like like Jesus's timing was off. It probably seemed like he was a little bit late to the party. And one thing I've come to realize about God's timing is it's not often like my timing. Like God's timing does not often fit with my time. How many of you have ever experienced that in your walk with the Lord? That God's timing does not often line up with what your expectations are and what you hope the time frame will look like. I was thinking about this because oftentimes in my life, if I'm honest with you, I'm not a really patient person. I'm not really good in the, the waiting seasons. And this comes out in very practical ways in my life. Like a few years ago, uh, we were driving to our our family vacation we go to every year in Myrtle Beach. And uh, we've had many stories we've shared about these adventures because there's always an adventure that happens during these drives. And this year, uh, and and the the point that I always have with these trips is I try to time the trip so that I don't hit traffic in Washington, D.C. Like that is literally my entire goal. I don't care about anything else that happens. My goal is to avoid traffic in Washington, D.C. because it's horrible. I remember this time we left on a Sunday. We left normally, we used to drive through the night, so we'd leave at like eight o'clock at night. This time we we left at like six o'clock at night. We were gonna still drive through the night, but left a little earlier. And we were timing it, or we we might have even left a little bit before that because I believe that when we were heading towards Washington, D.C., it was close to six o'clock when we were getting there. And uh, we were making good time. The GPS said we had about eight hours or eight and a half hours left in the trip, whatever it was. It was looking really, really good. For whatever reason though, I wasn't paying attention in a moment and I wasn't paying attention to the the GPS's instructions and uh, I missed a turn. And uh, when I missed this turn, I was like, you know, it's no big deal. There's lots of ways to get back on the right track. No big deal. But as soon as I turned the corner, I saw what is usually your worst nightmare when you're driving. All I saw was like traffic light, like just traffic. and, And it was just completely stopped. And the worst part about it in this moment was my GPS started to remind me that I had made a mistake like it was talking to me, like all I saw was red on there, and my destination time of arrival went from 8 o'clock to 9 o'clock, and then it went from 9 o'clock to 9.30, and I'm, I'll am be honest with you, I was not, the Holy Spirit was not flowing through me in that moment, I was getting really mad, like what the heck, what's going on, Who who's stupid, like I just started getting frustrated in that moment, like why is this happening, and you got kids in the back of the car, and they're asking, are we there yet, And and like that's, that's a recipe for disaster. And my wife is like, you need to calm down. I'm like, what is going on, right? Like, this is the worst. And I was just frustrated in that moment. Why? Because I'm terrible at the waiting seasons. I'm terrible at, at any time in life where, where things feel like a standstill, where I feel like I can't move forward. Even if I'm moving forward in a slow way, I feel like I'm still moving forward. But anytime we're just kind of at a standstill, I don't usually look at those, at those seasons in life as a good use of time. I'm honest with you, usually the, the waiting seasons feel like wasted seasons to me. They feel like a waste of time, especially when it's something like sitting in traffic. But here's something we need to learn to understand. With God, the waiting seasons are never wasted seasons. God is always working in those seasons. He's either trying to develop something in your life during the waiting season, or he's trying to work something out through your life. Like in that season of waiting, he's trying to develop patience, patience. Like some of us, we need lots of help in that area, right? I'm speaking to myself. He's trying to develop some other kind of godly characteristic in our life that that is gonna be a benefit to us. Or he's trying to use that situation, that, that season that we're in to work something through it, to do something in somebody else's life through that season. But it's never a wasted time. We need to learn in the waiting season to trust God and to learn to be patient, which again, How many of you would be honest enough to say that patience is not a virtue that comes naturally to you? It's, It's not easy at times. And here's the thing about patience. Patience is not really our ability to wait, but how we act while we are waiting. Like it's not just our ability to wait, it's our attitude and and the attitude we have when we're in the waiting that really matters. Because some of us, we can be patient, but we're terrible when we're being patient. Like we're patient, but we're not really patient because our attitude is horrible during that season. And it's not just about the waiting, it's about how we act in the waiting. Here's the thing about God, He's not constrained by time the same we are. The Bible says a day is like a thousand years, a thousand years is like a day to God. He's not constrained by the same properties when it comes to time. And so we have to constantly remind remind ourselves that God's timing is not like our timing, but his timing is is perfect. Someone said it like this, and I thought this was really good. They said, trust in God's timing. It's better to wait a while and have things fall into place than to rush and have things fall apart. How how many of you ever experienced that? You're like, all right, I'm not waiting for God anymore. I got this. I move forward and everything just kind of falls to crap. Everything falls apart because you try to step out of God's timing and into your own timing. It's better to wait, to be patient, to learn to trust God in that season of waiting and experience in him supernaturally put things into place than to rush and try to do it in your own power, and your own strength, in your own timing and have everything fall apart and get messed up. God's timing is not our timing, but he's always right on time. With God, a waiting season is never a wasted season. Number two, another thing we can remember about God is this, God's delays are not necessarily God's denials. Just because God delays doesn't mean that he is not going to come through. Just because he doesn't work in your time frame, in my time frame, doesn't mean that he's not going to show up and work it all out. Check out what happens in these next few verses. Verse 7. Then after that, his disciples, he said to the disciples, Let's go to Judea again. Rabbi, the disciples told him, Just now the Jews there tried to stone you, and you're going to go there again? He said, Aren't there 12 hours in a day? Jesus answered, if anyone walks during the day, he doesn't stumble because he sees the light of this world. If anyone walks during the night, he does stumble because the light is not in him. Verse 11, he said this and then he told them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm on my way to wake him up. The disciples said to him, and I love the disciples because they're just like us, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he's gonna get well. And what they meant by that was, Again, they're trying to kill you there. If he's sleeping, we don't have to go and you don't have to die. It's a good thing. Jesus answered, however, he was speaking about about Lazarus's death and they thought he was speaking about natural sleep. So Jesus just told them plainly, Lazarus has died. Mary and Martha, they they were wanting Jesus to come and show up and heal their brother, but he delayed. And because he delayed, it seemed like he had denied the request. It seemed like it appeared like in that moment that he had denied the request. But here's what we have to learn to understand, right? Even though Jesus delayed, he had a plan. Remember back what he said in the very first few verses. He said, this sickness will not end in death, but it's for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. He promised him, listen, Jesus isn't a liar. He promised that it wouldn't end in death. I love how Jesus used his words very, very, very clearly there. He said, it's not gonna end in death. He never said death wasn't gonna be a part of it. He just said death wasn't gonna be the final word in this situation, right? Like that's important. He, he was clear that death was not going to be the end. The crazy thing is scholars believe that at, that at this moment when Jesus said these words, that Lazarus had already died, which means when they left, when they left, the friends left to give word to Jesus. Sometime during that day journey, Lazarus was already dead. They didn't have cell phones to call him and tell him, hey, just come back, don't bother Jesus. He's already dead, it's too late, right? Though they were on that journey already to go see Jesus and Lazarus has already died at some point during that. And Jesus knows it. Jesus knows that he has died. And in that knowing of what was already the situation, he proclaimed this truth that this was not going to end in death. Death usually means the end. Death usually is a final type of thing. But Jesus does not look at things the same way that we look at things. Jesus speaks of things not as they appear to be or as they are in that present moment, but as they're going to be. And in that situation, that's how he speaks. So right now the plan's not looking good. Right now, it's looking like the, 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 the request has been denied. Lazarus as dead, but God always sees the bigger picture. And here's what I want you to understand. What we see as a delay, Jesus sees as an opportunity. What we often see as a delay, God sees as an opportunity for his power to show up in that situation. Another thing we can see in this story, number three, God is always working for your good and for his glory. We serve a good God. He's a, a promise-making and a promise-keeping God. He's a miracle-working God. He's a God who's, who's able to make a way when it seems like there is no way to be made. And he's a God who's always working for our good and for his glory in every situation. So what happens? It says, Lazarus has died, verse 15, and I'm glad for you, talking to his disciples, I'm glad for you that I wasn't there so that you may believe. So let's go to him. Jesus looks at his disciples and says, I'm glad that my friend has died. I'm glad that we didn't show up on time. I'm glad that we delayed, why? Because he was trying to to develop something in the disciples' lives. He was trying to, to build something into their lives, increase their faith, help them to believe in him in ways that they hadn't believed in him to this point. See, here's the thing, oftentimes, God has to do something in us before he can do something through us. Right, like he has to do a work in us before he's able to do a work through us. And so here's the thing about the disciples. They'd seen many miracles over these years. They had walked with Jesus. They had seen people healed miraculously. They'd seen demons cast out of people. They've seen uh, multitudes fed miraculously. They've seen all of these miracles. They hadn't really seen a lot of people being raised from the dead. And maybe they kind of got a little bit complacent. Maybe they just kind of started taking these miracles for granted because they've seen them all the time. This is just the way Jesus is, this is what happens. We don't really know, but Jesus was trying to develop something in their life. See here, this thing, God was gonna use these, these group of disciples, these group of men, to radically change the world after his death, burial, and resurrection. But before he could use them to radically change the world, he had to do a work in them first. He had to do something in them to build their faith, to increase their faith, to, to build the character in them that they were going to need to be used by him to change the world. God is ultimately going to use this situation for their good, right, to build their faith and for his glory to be seen in this moment. So I want to keep reading the story because we're going to see how God fulfills his promise and does what he promises to do. And what I believe is one of the most powerful miracles that we have recorded of Jesus ever doing. And here's the thing. In fact, this miracle more than anything else proves that Jesus is who he claims to be. Like you can do, when you, when you raise somebody from the dead, that is pretty good proof that you should listen to what the guy has to say. Like, right, if, you, if somebody raises, and literally Easter, if he raises himself from the dead, you definitely should listen to what they have to say. Verse 16, then Thomas, called twin, said to his fellow disciples, let's go so that we may die with him, full of faith. I like that they refer to him as the twin. That was his nickname. So you can understand why he didn't wanna go back there. So he's like, they tried to kill you and I look like you. That's what he's saying. He's saying, if they make a mistake, they're gonna kill me because I look the most like you. They're gonna think that I'm you. So like, I don't really wanna go back there because it's definitely gonna mean death for me. Some of the other disciples might get away, but I look like you, they're gonna kill us both. He wasn't really that unful of faith, actually. I mean, he was still committed to go. He could have just said, I'm just gonna stay here. But he went. So when Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now this is really, really important. Four days is a very significant amount of days. The Jewish people at this time had this superstition, wives' tale, whatever you wanna call it. It was a deeply held belief though, that when somebody died, the soul would, would leave their body, but the soul would kind of hover around. For three days, the soul would kind of hover around the body, stay around the body in hopes that it could make a return. But after three days, It was game over. Like after three days, the soul was was completely gone. And so we're starting to realize why Jesus delayed in this moment. We're starting to realize why Jesus waited where he was at for two days because healing somebody is a great miracle. Jesus did this many times, right? Bringing somebody back, raising somebody from the dead, even greater miracle. Raising somebody from the dead who is so dead that even all of their superstitions say it is impossible to come back to life is an even greater miracle. That's the type of impossible, glory revealing miracle that God loves to do. Verse 18, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away. Many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them about their brother. As soon as Mary heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Then Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Martha shows up to meet Jesus, and she says what we would often say. God, if you had just met my expectations, If you had just done what I expected you to do, if you had just shown up when you were supposed to show up, none of this would have happened. Our brother would still be alive. We wouldn't be going through any of this pain if you had just done what we expected you to do, which leads to the fourth thing I want us to see today. If God always met your expectations, he'd never have an opportunity to exceed them. We serve a God who can do above and beyond what we expect, what we hope, dream, or imagine. Mary and Martha in this situation, they were expecting a healing. Jesus had something bigger in mind. In Ephesians 3.20, it says, God is able through his power at work within us to do immeasurably or infinitely more than we might ask, think, or imagine. God is not a God of simply meeting our expectations. God is a God who is able to do above whatever we expect. In fact, our expectations, a lot of times if we're honest with ourselves, are way too small for the God we serve. Like our expectations are very, very limited and God is able to do above and beyond what we expect, what we think can happen. He is able to exceed those expectations and that's what he's trying to do in this situation. Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. I love her faith in this. That she goes, yet even now, even now, even though the situation doesn't look good, even though I feel like you let us down, even though you didn't show up when we were expecting, even now, I know that whatever you ask for, God will give you. Your brother will rise again, Jesus told her. And Martha said, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. And Jesus said to her, and this is really, really life-changing verse, ready? Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die ever. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. This is profound, a profound statement, spiritually profound statement. This is so significant for us to kind of get a hold of in our lives. He is saying in this moment that the power, uh, that He has power over everything in this world, including death. Up until this point, death has been pretty final. Death has usually had the last word. And Jesus is declaring in this moment that death is not final, that he has power over everything, including death, that the the power that death once held, the fear that death once held in our lives, the the, the sin that caused there to be death, all of those things that Jesus has power over that. And not only does he have the power over death, he also says that he is the source of life itself. means that real life, eternal life, abundant life cannot be found outside of Jesus. Everything else we experience in this life is counterfeit compared to the life that Jesus wants us to experience. 1 John 5, verse 11 and 12 says, and this is what God has testified. He has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have God's son does not have life. He's the source of Life, real life, eternal life is found only in Jesus. If you have Jesus, he says, you have life. If you don't have Jesus, you don't truly have life. You're not experiencing life. He's the resurrection and the life. See, we tend to look at the resurrection as an event in history, an an event that took place in, in history. But what Jesus is saying in this moment is that the resurrection is not an event. It's a person and his name is Jesus. He is the resurrection and the life. Let's look at verse 27. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who comes into the world. Having said this, she went back and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. As soon as she heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. The Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw that Mary got up quickly and went out. So they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to cry, to mourn. When Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and told him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her crying and the Jews who had come with her crying, he was angry in his spirit and deeply moved. Where have you put him, he asked. Lord, they told him, come and see. And Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how much he loved him. But some of them said, couldn't he who opened the blind man's eyes also have kept this man from dying? Couldn't he have showed up on time and and not let any of this happen if he had just been where he was supposed to be? Why was Jesus angry in this moment? And let's just be clear, this anger is not like a sinful anger. This is that righteous anger. Why was he angry in this moment? Was he angry at their lack of faith? Was he angry that they didn't believe in him at this moment? Was he angry about that? I don't believe that's why Jesus was angry in this moment. I believe that Jesus was literally angry in this moment at what death had done. He was angry at sin and how sin had caused this death and this pain to enter the world. He was angry at the fact that this had caused so much sorrow in the lives of people that he deeply loved and deeply cared about. He wept. Now, Jesus has so much power. He already knew what he was gonna do. He already knew what he had came there to do, right? He already had declared what he was on his way to do. He already knew what he was gonna ultimately do in just a few weeks when he was going to overcome death himself. But in that moment, he wept. He was overcome with emotion. Sometimes I think we paint this picture of a God who's who's so distant and doesn't care about us. A God who's so distant that doesn't care about our needs, doesn't care about what we're going through, doesn't care about our brokenness we experience in this life. This is proof. Bible says that if you, if you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus, because Jesus is God. This is Jesus. Even though he knew he was going to overcome death in that moment, even though he knew what he was ultimately going to do, weeps with his friends who are broken, feels their pain, empathizes with them in their, their weakness. He knows what it's like to experience pain and sorrow. He knows what it's like to be hurt and broken. He knows what it's like to lose a loved one, a, a friend that he deeply cares about. And he's angry at death in that moment. He's angry at the power that death held. So what happens in verse 28? Jesus, angry in himself again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone was lying against it. Remove the stone, Jesus said. Martha, the dead man's sister told him, Lord, he's already decaying. It's been four days. In the King James version, it says he stinketh. (laughs) He stinks, like his body is decaying. It's been four days. We should not open. This is not a good situation. Everybody here is mourning already. We don't want to make them sick to their stomach. Like, don't open that up. It's, I'm, I'm glad you want to do something, but you should have been here three days ago, four days ago. His, he's gone. I mean, that's what he's saying in this moment, right? He is dead, dead, right? Not just normal dead. He is dead, dead. He is stinky dead. He is soul gone dead. This is not a situation that you can do anything about in this moment. Jesus said to her, didn't I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they removed the stone. Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you heard me. I want you to just picture this prayer for a second because it's pretty neat. I thank you that you heard me. I know that you always hear me, but because of the crowd of people standing around, I said it out loud so that they may believe that you sent me. And after he said this, he shouted with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, bound hand and foot. He was a mummy. All right, he came out linen strips with his face wrapped in a cloth. And Jesus said to him, loose him and let him go. Therefore, many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw what he did, believed in him. Remember, he's always working for your good and for his glory. Many believed in him. Many who had showed up that didn't believe in him at that moment, believed in him because of this miracle. And I love, listen, I love that Jesus shouted because Lazarus wasn't hard of hearing, he was dead. Right, like I love that Jesus shouted in this moment. Here's why scholars believe that he shouted in this moment. I think this is pretty neat. And I don't know if it's true, but this is what they believe. I think it's pretty cool. They said the reason that Jesus shouted in that moment and he called Lazarus by name because he is so powerful, because he is the resurrection and the life. If he would have simply shouted, wake up, get out here, all of the dead bones that could have hurt him would have came out. So he had to make sure he called Lazarus by name or they would have had quite the situation going on in that moment, right? That would have been crazy, right? He he He's so powerful that he has so much power in just his words, authority in his words, that one word was able to change Lazarus' situation. Come on, can can we agree that Lazarus had, he had no power to change himself in that moment. He couldn't do anything to change his condition. But one word from Jesus, the resurrection and the life brought him from death to life. And not only is Jesus able to do that in Lazarus's life, he wants to do that and is able to do that in our lives as well. And I'm not just talking about physical death because can I tell you something about Lazarus? He came back to life, but he died again. Like he he did. It was a temporary resurrection. He's not just talking about physical life when he says he is the resurrection life. He's talking about what he can do in our spiritual condition, the condition that we can't, our emotional condition, where there's death in our lives, where there's sin in our lives, whatever it is in our lives, where there is death, he brings life. He takes things that were dead and he brings new life in that situation. Resurrection is not just what Jesus does, it's who he is. It's who he is. So that means that dead things can't stay dead When the resurrection and the life is in the situation, it means not only does God want you to experience eternal life, but he wants you to experience his abundant life as well. He wants you to experience that resurrection power in every area of your life. So where there's doubts in your life, he wants to bring hope, clarity, and faith. Where there is still sin or struggles in your life, he wants to bring freedom. You don't have to walk in that same bondage to sin anymore because he paid the price. He is the resurrection and the life. Where you feel like God has forgotten about you, and that God is distant and he's not showed up, he wants to remind you that he's not forgotten about you. He's seen every tear you've cried. He's heard every prayer you've prayed. He hasn't left you where you're at. He's the resurrection and the life he's ready to help. It's not just what he does, it's who he is. First Corinthians 15, as we close today, verse 21 through 22. So you see, just as death came into the world through a man, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. Would you stand with me this morning as we close? Let me tell you this if you're in here today. If you don't know Jesus yet today, I don't think that it's an accident that you, that you showed up here today. I believe that God has been working in your life drawing you into his presence, drawing you to him. It's not an accident that you walk through these doors, you're not here by mistake. This is a day where where your, your life, and not only your life here, but your eternity forever can change with one decision, one commitment. You can leave this place today knowing that you're right with God. The Bible says that you're a new creation. Doesn't matter how spiritually dead you walked in here with, Jesus is resurrecting business he takes things that are dead so dead that everybody else would say it's impossible for it to be changed and he changes the situation there is nothing no sin in your life no mistakes that you've made no failures no doubt that you have there is nothing that is greater than his power that wants to work in and through your life nothing and today today you can walk out of here a new creation forgiven and whole and made new Today, God wants to do a work in your life that only he can do. Just like Lazarus, there's nothing you can do to change your situation. You can try. That's called religion. And you'll never do anything. It'll never change. So Jesus did for you what you could not do for yourself. He became your sin. He died in your place for your sin. He purchased your your freedom. So you never have to walk in that sin anymore. And he promises that he makes you new. So with nobody looking around for just a second, because we always wanna give an opportunity for this, if there's anybody in here today who came in here knowing their spiritual condition as dead, who's chased after what the world has to offer for life, but has come up empty. You say, today, today, my only hope can be found in Jesus. Today, I'm saying yes to Jesus. I wanna pray with you as we close today. So is there anybody in here? I'm gonna look around for just a second. Anybody in here today that says yes to Jesus, today I'm giving my life to Him. Today I'm walking out here, not the same way that I walked in here, but my life is gonna be Jesus'. I want Him to, to save me. Is there anybody who would raise your hand right now? I see one hand in the back, is there anybody else today? Hand over there as well, anybody else today? Come on, can we celebrate with these people? This is amazing, people stepping from death to life. We don't, listen. I, I don't ever want us to become a church, which takes that for granted that comes in and people walk from death to life and we're like, that's, that's okay. That's not, that's, that's not okay, that's why we exist. And when we came here today and we prayed and we served because we expected God to change lives, we know he's still in the resurrecting business. So if you raise your hand today, I want you to pray with me and we're gonna all pray together right now and then before you leave today i want you to do me a favor i want you to fill out that card in the seat in front of you let us know that you made that decision to follow jesus give it out at the new here booth because we want to connect with you and help you as you begin to walk as a follower of christ so would you pray with me today father we thank you so much jesus for dying on the cross for our sins god i thank you that that you are not just in the business of of bringing resurrection but you are the resurrection in the life that when we invite you into our lives, when we give you control, when we surrender and submit our lives to you, Jesus, that you completely make us whole. You bring life where there was death. God, I thank you for your salvation. I thank you for your forgiveness of our sins. God, I thank you that we can walk in freedom because of what Jesus has done for us. We give you all the praise, the glory, and the honor today. I thank you for for those two hands that were raised today. Like I pray that as they leave here, they would know they're a new creation because of you, that they would begin to walk as a new creation, that you begin to draw their hearts, do a work inside of them that only you can do. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Maybe you're in here today. As we close in this time of worship, you're in one of those seasons. You're in one of those seasons where you feel like God has kind of left you. You're one of those seasons where you feel like you don't hear his voice as clearly. You're one of those seasons where you just feel the heaviness and the weight of this world. And I tell you, we go through those seasons and God does promise to be with us in those seasons. And and our job in those seasons isn't just to question what God is doing, but to trust him, to keep pressing in, to keep worshiping, to keep holding on to the hope that we have in him. God, what are you trying to teach me in this season? What are you trying to develop in my life in this season? What are you trying to do through this season to reach other people? God, how are you working for my good and for your glory in this situation? Because I trust your word and I trust what it says. I would encourage you today, if you're in one of those seasons, to just say, will you trust him? Will you keep holding on, will you keep walking? Maybe you're in here today and there's some areas where you need to experience that resurrection power in your life still. You're a follower of Christ, but there's still doubts that weigh heavy in your life. And you wanna experience that, that life that Jesus offers today. Maybe there's, there's sin in your life that you still walk in bondage to. Can I tell you, if you're a follower of Christ, that's a prison cell that, that doors have been opened. You don't have to walk in that anymore. God has done everything. He's given you everything you need to live a life that honors him and pleases him. You don't have to walk in bondage to any sin in your life. He is the resurrection and the life. Everywhere he goes, he brings life. Everything he touches, he brings life. If you're walking in any kind of spiritual death, emotional death, any kind of death in your life, Jesus wants to bring a life into that area. And so what I wanna do is a sign of faith and surrender today. If you're struggling in any of those areas, would you just lift your hands together with me? We're gonna surrender this to God. I'm gonna pray with you today as we close and worship. God, we thank you so much. God, I pray right now for, for anybody in this place today that is struggling with doubts, that is struggling with sin, God, maybe there's a relationship in their life that, is, that feels like it's dying, God, and they feel like there's no hope right now today. In our surrender, God, we, we surrender everything to you. Lord, we trust that you are an all-powerful God. God, that you can meet and go beyond our wildest dreams, imagination. You don't just meet our expectations, God. You exceed our expectations, so we trust you right now. We put our faith in you right now in the situation. God, we thank you for your power. God, we thank you for the life, the real life that is only found in you, God. Today, we worship you in faith, not based on our current situation, our our current circumstance, but in faith knowing what you're gonna do. We give you all the praise, all the glory, all the honor. In Jesus' name we pray today, amen.